mention one other prayer request and a praise at least is that uh, David, David's uh, daughter, uh, Sarah, is in the hospital. Uh, she had to have surgery Friday to, to deal with the, the there's an issue with, involving her cheek, I believe, and, and uh, this, the, this, the surgery was a success. But that's where uh, Rachel and her dad are right now. And, and I think uh, from what David tells me, I think Sarah will be discharged maybe tomorrow or Tuesday. It's hard to have your little, little, little one, especially little one in, in the hospital. So please keep the Changs in your prayers. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. We encourage you to follow along your Bibles, but if you don't have one, we have it printed in your bulletin. You can follow along there. 2 Samuel 1, beginning in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa. Let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the, from the, blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. Lord, we need your help this morning uh, to understand your word rightly, Lord, to make a connection with our culture to a culture that is very different than ours, uh, to a, a lament that we is foreign to us. And most of all, Lord, we pray you would show us Jesus, show him crucified and exalted and risen for us, even from this passage of long ago. Lord, we pray that you would show us David's greater son, and may he be glorified in the preaching and listening and the hearing of this sermon, we ask in your precious name, amen. Well, I think this is the first time I've ever titled a, song, a sermon after one of Elton John's songs. Did anyone catch that? Sad songs say so much. I don't remember when it was exactly, early 80s, be my guess, in his heyday. Um, but the, the point of the, the, the song is just to get your attention, the, the title is just to get your attention. This uh, lament that we are going to consider today only makes sense if you read the first 16 verses of 2 Samuel 1 or even 1 Samuel chapter 31. But what uh, David is lamenting is the death of Saul and Jonathan. They were involved in a great battle against the Philistines. Uh, they were both killed in the battle. And David, of course, is next up. Now, if, if this were me, I would never have written a lamentation. I would have written a song of, of praise. I said, God, this is obviously your will. Now I get to be king. Hallelujah. Thankfully, David is the one who is writing here, not me. 
And, and guided by the Holy Spirit, he writes this uh, song. It's really a song. Uh, and so we're going to look at this uh, in four parts today. Uh, we're going to look at the value of lament in verses 17 through 19. Uh, what I call negation in verses 20 and 21. Commendation verses 22 and 23. And separation verses 24 and 26. I should say, by the way, these, I, I took these directly from a commentary by Dale Ralph Davis. Uh, he, he divides the text so well, I wanted to make sure and give him credit. The sermon's all mine, but the, the, those headings are his. So first, let's look at verses 17 through 19 with me. We see the value of lament. I've already read it, but I'll say it again. It says, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And I should say, by the way, so Saul, of course, was someone who had been, pers- who, been pursuing David almost all of 1 Samuel, the, the book of 1 Samuel. Um, he was jealous of David because David had God's favor and he did not. And Jonathan was, his, was Saul's son. Jonathan was David's uh, bestie, if, if bestie would be another way to put it, um, very best friend, almost like a brother. Uh, you see how highly he speaks of him. We'll get to that in verse 26. But Jonathan also was Saul's son. So Jonathan really was, was in a place of sacrificing his own place uh, as the heir apparent in order for David uh, to be able to gain that. And so David laments. It makes sense to me that he laments over Jonathan, but I, I, he's much more magnanimous than I ever would be uh, in, in lamenting over Saul. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. And there's a, there's a, that's one way to uh, look at the Hebrew. Another uh, interpretation is to, call, is to say that not only should be taught to the people of Judah, and that's in this book of Jashar, but the, the actual, this song is called The Bow. And really named after Jonathan's favorite uh, weapon of war. And so this should be taught. So not only is this a a sad song, it laments over people who are are dead, but also David wants it taught. And so I should should take time first to say, what, what is a lament? Right? We need a definition. A lament is a poem or song that expresses grief. So it uses words to combine the raw emotion of grief with reflection. Right, so sometimes this grief is just sadness. It's just anguish. It's sobbing tears. It's anger. Um, but but the, but a lament combines that raw emotion with reflection on what it would mean for someone uh, to have someone close to them pass away. We're not very good as as Americans at lament. Uh, we like to, particularly Christians, I think we like to focus on the positive. Sometimes I think we like to be happy uh, so much more than we like to be sad. When in fact, I think God has given us that whole range of emotions to be able to understand him and enjoy him. But there are, there are a few laments out there. Probably the best one, one I could find was by, by Walt Whitman, uh, the poet who, who uh, lamented of Abraham Lincoln's death in a poem called, O Captain, My Captain. I just read the first stanza here. O Captain, My Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near. The bells I hear. The people are all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But oh heart, 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 oh the bleeding drops of red. Where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. So you see there's the the anguish of, of Lincoln's death, especially at the time when it was, when the Union was finally coming back together, the Civil War had been won. And of course, he was assassinated. We don't like to reflect upon death, even as Christians. 
funeral services that, that took death seriously and, the, and the, that take death seriously and therefore proclaim the hope of the gospel are being edged out, I find, the longer and longer I'm a pastor. And they're being replaced by celebrations of life. Now, before I get, go on, I want to say something. You can have a celebration of life and a funeral at the same time, okay? Uh, I've certainly experienced that in, in, in really good ways. But also, I read the obituaries every Sunday in the paper, and we're having less and less funerals and more and more of these celebrations of life, which oftentimes devolve into sometimes frivolous parties. How often do we pray laments or sing laments? I'm really grateful for, for Christian hymnody in this last generation. I think we've gotten better as, as, as Christians about writing songs that express the full gamut of, uh, of, um, of, of, of emotion. More reflection, but boy, you know, a, uh, many of you who are a little older than I am remember uh, kind of the bubblegum, sugary, uh, seven words said 11 times songs, uh, often mindless praise that has been supplanted. Thankfully, it's been supplanted by thoughtful, reflective lyrics that remind us of our frailties and point our hearts and our minds to our Savior Jesus. Note that David wanted this song to be taught to, to Judah. They ought to learn it and to sing it to allow David's grief to instruct their own hearts. For example, Psalm 6, David has written a number of psalms, of course, but Psalm 6 is, is, is often considered a song of lament. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 6. I thought I had this set up, but I don't. Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 6. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. I'm going to skip down. No, I won't skip down. It's worth reading the whole thing. Verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. I'm telling you, I don't pray like this. I need to. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. He accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. But you see, he, before he gets to the, to, to the high point of the psalm, he sinks down to the depths. He's not afraid of, of expressing his emotions. Drenching his couch with tears, flooding his bed with weeping, so on and so forth. And so this, this is a lament that we're studying here. It starts with this topic sentence, if you will, in verse 19. Right? A direct address to Israel. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. The glory is slain. Later on, you, you, you might perhaps see that Jonathan is the one that could be, a, uh, could be the glory he's talking about here. I think it actually is the very glory of God that also has taken a turn for the worse. So that's the introduction. For the next two verses, talk about negation. Negation, verses 20 and 21. And really what David is doing here, he's, he's lamenting two specific places. Let's look at the verses. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. 
lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. So he's talking about the major cities of the Philistines here, of Philistia. That's where David depicts the victor's parades and the native's exaltation. He says, don't publish it in Gath, or don't, don't tell it in Gath or publish it. Of course, he's really saying that's exactly what's going to happen, right? The Philistines have won the battle. They've defeated Saul. If you look at 1 Samuel 31, you see what they did to his body. They paraded it around uh, uh, in, in their cities. And then verse 21, you mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. Because Gilboa is the place where Saul died, where Jonathan perished, David, in a sense, curses the land. He says, may you never grow anything. May you become infertile. He wants it to be cursed. Implicit in all this, of course, is David's passion for God's glory. Because it's not just Jonathan and, and Saul who are dead. But, but also, the, when, when God's people are, 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 are harmed, when they are, uh, when they are defeated, it's also a knock on God's glory. And when God's, when God's people are diminished, the disciples of Dagon and the aficionados of the Ashtaroth celebrate. Right? Dagon was the, was the god, was the empty god, the, the, the idol that was worshipped in, in Philistia. The Ashtaroth poles uh, by, the, by the prophets of Baal. Uh, that's why taking pot shots at the church, even when we are deeply flawed and faithless, is ultimately taking shots at God himself. Um, dear friends, the church is being hit time and time again. If, you, if you're ever on social media, and I, I discourage you from going more, uh, very often. Uh, but the, the times I'm on social media, it's very easy to see how the church is often separated from the Lord. When people say, gosh, I need to get, if I could just get beyond my church, I could really experience God. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that the church is messed up. It's pastored by sinners. It's uh, filled, the, the, uh, the pews and the chairs are filled with sinners. So it's not a surprise that the church is full of sin. Um, but the church is also God's bride, Right? In a sense, when we do that, I can hear almost God saying to us, hey, that's my, that's my wife. Watch what you say about her. Um, because God has loved us. And he sent his son to live and die for, for his bride. And so please, be careful. Uh, I assume you're here this, if you're here this morning, you probably love the church. Uh, you had to get up early. You had to get the kids around. For, you're here. Well, I'm thankful for that. But just, just be careful. Uh, when, when you see people separating God from his church, um, know that that's, that's not what at all what God has in mind. When the people of God are diminished, um, God is diminished. So just keep that in mind. And that's really what David's talking about here in verses 21 and 20 and 21. Then we see a commendation in verses 22 and 23. This, by the way, this is really interesting because this is where David turns from address to description. Right, he's been talking in the first person. He's been uh, uh, talking to uh, certain people. And after these two verses, he goes on. He goes back to address. But here he's describing Jonathan and David. Uh, let's look at verses 22 and 23. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. So he kind of celebrates their military prowess, overlooking this last defeat. And then how, look at how he describes the father and the son together, united in life and in death. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, 
In life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And you wonder if David perhaps allows his love for Jonathan to color his view of Saul a little bit here. Because again, if you, if you know your scriptures, you know how many, one more than one occasion, Saul tried to kill David. He tried to kill him uh, hurling a spear at him uh, when he was playing the harp for him. Uh, he tried to kill him out, out on the battlefield at different times. David even had chances to get revenge on Saul, but never took full revenge on him. So David uh, allows his view of Saul to be colored by his, by his, love, of, of, uh, John, his love for Jonathan. Um, but again, this is Saul. Not only did Saul try to kill David, he's standing in his way of being king of Israel. He stood in the way of fulfilling David's calling as his next king. David takes time to commend Saul and Jonathan here because he realizes that they have lost something dear. Israel has not only lost the battle, but they have lost a king and they've lost his son. That is why they lament. And that's important for us to realize. Perhaps we don't lament because we don't think we lose things that are valuable to us or people that are valuable to us. How many of you lamented over what happened in Memphis this past week? And how many of you just are tired of, by the, just tired by, by, by the way, of all the news that you hear? It's so hard to process everything. But then you see something awful like that happen in an American city. Something that, sadly, keeps happening. We need to lament because we lose valuable things as a country and as families and as loved ones. We go from commendation to the last point here, separation, verses 24 through 26. This is where you see David's heart is most revealed. So notice he goes again from, he goes back from description to address in verse 24. He says, you daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments on, of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. So it's interesting, he, he almost kind of, Saul kind of, or excuse me, David divides the labor here of, 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 of weeping. He says, now I'm going to hand off the, Saul's weeping to you, uh, daughters of Israel, so to speak. Saul, who, who uh, brought great wealth to, to the nation. But in verse 28, he says, 26, he turns towards Jonathan. He says, Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen on the weapons of war, perished. So David asks the daughters of Saul to mourn for daughters of Israel to mourn for Saul while David is busy mourning his brother Jonathan. Jonathan was devoted to David, as I said earlier, even risking his own position as the heir apparent to support David as the future king of Israel. And he did this while at the same time staying right next to Saul, staying loyal to him as much as he could, fighting and dying with him even to the end. David's uh, sentence here, the sentence that says, your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Some commentators believe somehow this is some sort of erotic statement. Like there's some sort of expression of homosexuality on David's part. I think, by the way, that, that says more about our culture today and the commentator than it does uh, the, the, the uh, truth. Because Jonathan's love was, mo was the most faithful love David experienced, even more faithful than David's wives. That's what he's saying here. But it does bring out an important point, I think, especially to us men. There's an importance of, of men being able to love other men. 
I mean that in a friendship, brotherly way. Um, I was in El Paso again. A, brother, a friend, friend of mine, Chuck Isaac, is the pastor of the local church there, Christ the King in El Paso. Chuck and I went to seminary together. He's a second career minister, uh, 68, I believe, is Chuck's age. Chuck never forgets to tell me that he loves me. Um, and he means it. And it shames me because I do not say that enough to the people I love, uh, much less to my, my congregation, whom I also love. There's something about us, I think, men, that, that kind of inhibits that. And, and I think what, what's sad is that most men are lonely. A lot of us are, are lonely. We're looking for caring, tender relationships, not just with, with women, but with, with men. We're looking for friends like Jonathan who are closer than a brother. We are all David's looking for our Jonathans. And I think, by the way, if that happened more often, if we were more often willing to tell one another that we love each other and that we, and we're involved in each other's lives, this is men to men, but also could be expressed to women to women. Uh, I think you would find uh, that, that, that the uh, gay movement would, would subside greatly. Because sadly, a lot of those men who are involved in, in, in that lifestyle are, are, just, are just desperately seeking love. And they confuse it with erotic love. Just a thought. But as we close up this morning, uh, as we finish, um, I want to talk a little more about death again and, and about lament. We live in a culture that's either obsessed with, with dead, with, with the dead, or dismissive of death, right? We, we either love to watch zombie shows, or we, 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 we pretend like death doesn't even happen. By the way, it's very similar to how we treat the devil. We either make too much of him or not enough of him. This text shows that David took death seriously and took the time to organize his grief in the form of lament. I read one of uh, David's psalms, Psalm 6, just a moment ago. And I started with Walt Whitman's lament for President Lincoln, O Captain, my Captain. Now, allow me to share one more lament. This one from Nicholas Wolterstorff. Uh, if, you know, if that name may ring a bell, he's an evangelical theology professor at Yale Divinity School. Yes, we do place it evangelical every once in a while in those, uh, those old-time divinity schools. His oldest son, Eric, died in a climbing accident at the age of 25. And his dad wrote a book called Lament for a Son. It was quoted in a sermon I was listening to this week. Here's a quote from the book. Wolterstorff writes, It is the neverness that is so painful. The neverness. Never again to be here with us. Never to sit with us at table. Never to travel with us. Never to laugh with us. Never to cry with us. Never to embrace us as he leaves for school. Never to see his brother and sister Mary. All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. Only our death can stop the pain of his death. A month, a year, five years with that, he writes, I could live. But not this forever. That's the end of the quote. And that's why we're glad. Even in our grief. Even in our lamentation. We do not have to suffer death, endure grief, offer lament forever. For our God sent his son to not only live in our place, but to die in our place. So that death, even though it plagues us in this life, cannot have the final word. For those who put their trust in Jesus, we can agree with David as he wrote, writes in Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever.
The lamentation is important. But especially for us to see at the end of the lamentation, there's, there's, there's hope in the person and the presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. Put your faith in him, dear friends, even as you lament, even as you're saddened by loss, even as you approach difficult things in your life. Know that he loves you and has given his son for you. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. We thank you, O oh God, that you minister to us through your word. Lord, we pray that this lament would be a balm of healing for those who need it this morning. And Lord, I pray you help us to be fully engaged with our emotions, fully offering our lives to one another. Help us, Lord, indeed to, to love one another and to remind ourselves that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Lord, may that be our song. Even at the end of the lament, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.